Well, the good news is, this is the last week you have me.
I'm going to talk about Jesus in two different fr- phrases or sessions. Uh, sections. One, Jesus as he was as a boy, which is all conjecture, and the other one is as Jesus as he's uh, doing his ministry and preaching. Now, when you think of Jesus, I don't know what image you have. Mine is generally the uh, the Vinci Last Supper, um, where he's sitting there with the boys and. He doesn't look real happy, and obviously so for what he's going to what he's going to go through. But all the other paintings, the uh, stained glass windows, you never see him really smiling, with maybe one exception, and that's when he has the children around, and that's barely a, a smile. Now I find that um, hard to believe. Now here's a person who was raised in a rinky-dink backwater village of Nazareth. A hundred people, maybe five hundred, that's it. Uh, dirt poor, poverty, just trying to scratch out a living. And people like that have a sense of humor. It's very earthy. And having traveled Mississippi, in the really rural areas, they have a sense of humor. But it is, and I'll again use the term, earthy. So what I'd like to do today is give you a little comment about, some comments about how I perceived his, his growing up. When you live in a rural area, and again, I've been in some of those areas, um, back then, it's hard, but yet there was humor, there was laughter. They knew the facts of life at seven or eight years old easily because you had animals out there procreating. That is a good word, isn't it, Pat? Procreate, okay. Let's make this an error there. Anyway, and they're giving birth. In those days, and even a hundred years ago, when people got married, there was a big joy. <clears throat> there was parties, there was laughter, there was jokes being told, and then there was births. When I first did this, when I was thinking about how it, I said there was births, and then there was marriages, and I thought, wait a minute, it's not the 20th century yet, let's come back to uh, way back when. So you had marriage, you had the births, and all that was done at home. So people saw all of that. They saw the tragedies. They saw people dying too young. They saw accidents. And where did they die? They died in bed. So someone like Jesus would have seen all of that. He would have seen the the, the laughter, the humor of life. He would have seen the tragedy of life, the tears. He was living life. But when you think of Jesus as a seven or eight year old, I can't picture him wandering around with his hands folded in a prayer life, doing nothing but meditating. I think he's living the life of the boy. Tussling around, getting dirty, um, maybe even getting in trouble. It's a little cloudy out there, isn't it? I need to be careful here. But I picture him doing all that. A lot of the laughter, um, having a good time. And then the next thing, reading thing, only thing we know about Jesus as a youth is when he's 12 years old and he's, they find him in the temple talking to the people, the priests. Other than that, it's all conjecture. But my figure, my conjecture is as good as anybody else's conjecture, so that's mine. So I look at Jesus as a boy, typical boy, but as he grows, he stays in Nazareth. Now the ACs or the anti-Christian group would say, well, if he was, if he could do all these things, if he could heal, bring people back from the dead, why did he start out at 18? Why did he start at 20? Look at all the lives he could have affected, impacted. But he didn't. He stayed till he was around 30 years old. 
Why? I don't know why. Some people say, well, he was still <coughs> being human, doing the things that people do when they're, they have a widowed mother. Uh, they're doing the things that they have to do. But his, he had, what was it, three brothers or four brothers, half-brothers and some sisters. They could have taken over. Why didn't he start out earlier? Some people might have the opinion that, well, you're not considered, uh, worthy is not the right word, but when you go into a synagogue and start to speak with authority, it's hard to be taken seriously until you reach a certain age. That might have been one reason. And maybe he just wanted to learn more about how it felt to be a boy, a teenager, a young man. In any case, that's the first thing I wanted to talk about. Jesus as a, as a boy, what, what he experienced, a very earthly, earthy type of environment. It was, it was hard and difficult, but he experienced all the things that we experience. Again, I find that somewhat comforting. Then we get into, he's going out and starting on his ministry. Well, I was thinking about this. I got thinking about some of the phrases in the Bible, and I realized he did say a lot of things that were rather off the chart. Now, picture yourself out there, and he starts to speak, and he says, making, making phrases like, the blind see, and the sighted are blind. What? What's going on here? Particularly if you happen to be blind at the time. Well, I'm still blind. What's going on? Or the other one was, uh, the rich are poor, and the poor are rich. Now, I can see Dave Roberts looking at his little money pouch and saying, Hey, uh, I had three denarii when I walked in here, and I'm walking out with three denarii. I'm still the same. There's nothing changed here. Well, he was making a point, and it was still not always being understood by the people that he was talking to. So what I'd like to do today is paraphrase some Bible verses. You know them better than I do. The thing about Jesus is when he was preaching, in quotes, he was drawing the people to him because one is preaching and then he really started drawing the preaching the people to him due to his the miracles and bringing people back from the dead. All the other things he did, the, the miracles that brought people to him. But in addition to all that, all of those things he did, it was his delivery. It was the things he was saying that shocked them so much. And if you listen to this, it's it's like um, he's saying things that are really off off the chart, and that would get people really uh, interested in talking about what this man is saying and what the heck did he mean? The first one, the first one is out of Matthew chapter 5 and it's about adultery. Now there's nothing personal about that picking that one as the first one. I just want to make that clear. But, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away, because it is better for you to lose a part of your body than your entire body. Now, even reading that today, that seems rather harsh, and thinking how they must have thought about it back in those days would have been really something that, what do you mean I'm going to gouge out an eye? Let's take Frank Foyle. So you take him. Um, if, if Frank had lust in his heart, why we don't know married to who, who he is married to. But if he did, and he were to gouge out his eye, 
at the end of that action, what do you have? Before, you had a lustful man with two eyes. Afterwards, what do you have? A lustful man with one eye. You really haven't accomplished a whole lot. I'm glad you still have two eyes, Frank. <laughs> so, the point is, though, sin. And I have a little experience with sin a long time ago. Well, okay, today, but a lot of it was a long time ago. And the first time you do something that's really not right, oh, oh, second time you do it, you know, I really shouldn't do that. Third time you do it, eh, you know, fourth time, what? Let's go do it again. That was a lot of fun. It's fun not getting caught. That's that's what happens. That's the problem with sin. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to make. His point here is, whatever you're doing, you know in your heart it's wrong, stop it. Stop it. That's the point he's making. What I think is the point he's making. The other one is from Matthew also. And I just missed one. As you can see, this is this is this is the result of starting something on Thursday and finishing on Friday. Yes. Uh, oh, seven thirty. This is the one that would have got people really talking. We all know it's the blank in the eye. Why do you look at the eye at why do you look at the speck of the sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? I can particularly see kids laughing about that because they took things literally. A plank, in other words, a log in your eye. That's not gonna happen, folks. Again, it's it's exaggeration. It's got to people's attention. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will be see clear to take the remove the see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I think it's a reference to the hypocrites, how we point at other people the things that they're doing, and even though we may have done it ourselves and let our gave ourselves a pass, we never want to give someone else a pass. Particularly particularly people who, I hate that term self-righteous, but I'll say the self-righteous ones because they always irritate people like me, but we're all self-righteous to a point. And that's, that's Jesus' point. But can you imagine the kids and even the, 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 the adults in the crowd saying, a plank in his eye, it doesn't make sense, but then hopefully later they get, they get the, uh, the point. Uh, the next comment or Bible verse is in Matthew again. Now, this is the one that I could, the adults would have just been shaking their head and the kids were saying, that sounds like a lot of money to me. Let me paraphrase this. This is where it's a king or it's a master and he's calling his, his servants or his slaves to him saying, hey, it's time for accounting. The first one he's going to talk to is someone who he loaned 10,000 pounds. I can tell you right now, at, at, uh, Okay, you're all right. I know you're okay, but can you? All right, all right, hang in there. Um, <laughs> feel better with you going. Yeah. But the king is. Uh, thank you. Um, but the king, he's calling his, his servants or his slaves in. Because the first one he's going to talk to is someone who he's loaned 10,000 talents. Now, I mean, 
to most people at that time, that was all the wealth in the world. All the wealth. Take King David. He's, he's providing for making preparations to build a temple. He's not going to build it because his hands are bloody, so his son Solomon's going to build it. He's getting all this stuff together. The lumber, uh, the bronze, the silver, the gold. And we don't know whether it's gold or silver that, were, that uh, the Bible refers to. But King David set aside 3,000 talents, which was an enormous amount of money at this time. And now it is later, it's 10,000 talents. I mean, that's... that's <coughs> It's like trying to figure out how we ever got into $16 trillion in national debt. I mean, it's just, it, it boggles your mind. Oh, well, no, there's other, there's people involved in that spending too much. So anyway, he's talking, and he's getting angry with the servant. He wants to, or a slave, depending on which version of the Bible you have. He's going to throw him in jail. But this, this, this is where what gets me. Felt, the servant falls on his knees before God, before the king or his master. Be patient with me, I'll pay back everything. Uh, the master took pity on him and doesn't give him more time to pay the debt. He cancels the debt. Now Jesus is making a point here, no matter what your sin is, God in heaven will forgive you, no matter the sin. Now that has always bugged me. That was back in the days when I was looking for justice and not mercy. I remember I'm getting off track here, but Pat uh, and I, before we were married, I was always finding fault with Christians. It's so easy to find fault with Christians. I mean, that's the reason, folks, not that he get too harsh with you. Not that I don't have faults. But, um, you know, would, would God forgive Hitler just before Hitler pulled the trigger? In his heart, sincerely repented. And I always had a real problem with that. Not anymore, because now we're back into, do you want justice, or do you want mercy? And folks, I'll speak for you, you better want mercy, because that's what I want, too. In any case, Jesus' point here is the mercy. Of course, what the idiot then does is go out, he doesn't owe the 10,000 10, talents, he sees someone that owes him 100 denarii, three months' wages, maybe, he grabs him by the neck and going to throw him in prison. Of course, the other fellow servants tell the master about this, and he then takes the, the man who owed 10,000 talents, and his debts are not forgiven. Because to have your, your sins, your debts forgiven, guess what? You have to forgive the others. That's a hard thing to do. We can take the forgiveness ourselves, but there's something about passing it on to others. Human nature being what it is, is we don't always do what we're supposed to do. This one is, the next verse is very appropriate on Mother's Day. Then little children were brought into Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them and tried to send them on their way, trying to protect Jesus. He's tired, he wanted to keep him fresh, etc. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. First question, who brought the children? wasn't the uncle, wasn't the aunt, wasn't the father, it was the mother. And why would mothers want to do that? Because they're loving, they're nurturing, they're patient, thank you for that. Um, and they see Jesus, they, they, they hear his message, or they hear rumors of him, they hear what he's had to say, they're aware of the, the miracles he's, he's performed. He is a, for sure a prophet, but more 
what a, what a mother not want to do than to walk away from that. You want your child to be blessed by Jesus, and that's who brought children to Jesus. And Jesus' point is, on, on the children, how, how much faith they have in whatever they're told. Now, I want to go up to a certain age on that, because once they hit about 12 or 13 or 14, uh, they need a whole lot more than just the parent telling them something to do. Not that I would have much experience on that. <clears throat> yeah, right. So, the next and last, don't hear any hollering or hollering about that, is uh, in Luke. And this is one that I really like the story. Um, it's in chapter 19, and it's on Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a little jerk. He's a tax collector. He's this smarmy little person who's stealing from people, gives part of it, obviously, to, excuse me, giving part of the money to Rome and keeping the rest for himself. And he's a big wheel in the area because he is the master tax collector, which means he has little tax collectors out there who are also stealing from the people. Jesus is coming into Jericho. People are all around. Zacchaeus can't see anything. So he goes up and climbs up in a tree and he wants to see I don't know if he's seen him before or not, but he wants to see him again. He's up in the tree, and this is one person's, uh, not mine, uh, analysis of the situation. Zacchaeus is dressed like most of the men were in that day, and depending upon the time of day and the time of year, Zacchaeus is up in the tree now, and people down below are looking up and laughing and giggling and making sarcastic comments about Zacchaeus. Well, they see Zacchaeus. They see all of Zacchaeus. So here's Jesus coming down. He hears the laughter. He looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, come on down. Today I want to spend time in your house. Zacchaeus comes down. He's happy as can be. And here's what, here's what the people said. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. How quickly we turn. We're all wonderful people. We're all Christians. We're loving. We're caring. Wait a minute. What's she doing going over there? It's amazing to me how quickly, let's say you, I can change my attitude about things. When I see something going on, that why does anyone want to spend time with me? I mean, I'm putting myself in the place of those folks out there 2,000 years ago. Now, in spite of what Mike Miller says, Mike's a great guy, he's a lot smarter than I am, but I disagree with him on this. I made a comment once about a movie I saw, it was a TV series. All I remember about it was the title, Jesus of Nazareth. <clears throat> and it's the scene that has stayed with me all my life is the scene where Jesus has already got Zacchaeus out of the tree. He's in, in Zacchaeus' uh, that right? Yeah. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. Uh, in his house. And it's an outdoor area, and people are having a good time. The wine's flowing, they're eating, they're feeling good, they're telling jokes, Jesus is the life of the party, things are great. Off to the side is Peter. He's looking into the courtyard, and he's seeing all the happiness, and the joking, and the good times, and life is good. He's with the tax collector. He's with the a traitor to, to, to the country. He doesn't treat the people right. How can he do this? There's anger. There's a feeling of, of uh, 
He's been betrayed. What is Jesus doing? <clears throat> that has always stayed with me. Because it's so easy to find fault with other people. And that's what, what Peter's doing. Zacchaeus stands up and says, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody, I will pay it back four times. He's seen, he's heard Jesus, got the message, he's seen the light, he is a new man. The movie doesn't say anything more about where what happened with Peter after that. But that scene of Peter's feeling of rejection and betrayal has always stayed with me and made me realize, hey, wait a minute, you know, you gotta have an open mind about what's going on about you. And then Jesus says, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Talking about us. I think that's a beautiful line. It's just... Um, you know, there are many holidays. We have Mother's Day. We have Father's Day. We've got birthdays. We've got Christmas. But you think about the gifts that we give. Always material garbage. It doesn't mean anything. Forgive me if someone just gave you something really nice. But you think about the, the gift. And the first one was when the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. That's quite a gift. Now, there's a better gift coming after that. But that is quite a gift. To seek out and save the lost. It's been a mixed bag of a lesson today, only because I struggled to find something that I feel good about on Women of the Bible. I'm sure it's there. I was just too stupid to dig it out. But Jesus as a boy, Jesus growing up in a rough area, Jesus as he goes out on his, on his ministry, the things he said, the things he did, when we read the Bible, we need to not read it so fast. We need to spend a little time with some of the words because as, as you read it and you see, see phrases like the rich are poor and the poor are rich and the blind see and the sighted lose their sight and a plank and an eye. This is evidence. I know this is probably a, a push. But the Lord and Savior had a sense of humor. He can't, didn't walk around all day just kind of floating over the ground as so many of the paintings show. He lived a hard life. In spite of that, he had a sense of humor. He had to be smiling. He had to laugh. And there's a line from, I can't remember where it was, but laughter is the closest thing to God's grace. And you think about when you laugh. Okay, some of you don't guffaw or may just chortle or grin. But isn't that a great feeling? And that's what God wants for us. He wants us to feel good. He wants us to feel happy. There's a time to mourn. There's a you know, time to laugh, etc. But sometimes we get so caught up in whether it's politics or some pathetic TV show that you get hooked on and I'm hooked on revenge. Don't ask me why, but I am. Uh, they got her, they lose her, they got her, they lose her. I don't know what's going on. Anyway. 
there's a human Jesus that we love, a human Jesus that taught us how to pray. There's the Holy Jesus, the Holy Jesus that we worship, that we, we pray in His name. And when you think about a Mother's Day gift, and I think back about that phrase I've said about three times now, Jesus came to seek out and save the lost. That's, that's, a, that's a phrase we need to keep in our mind. Because anytime we start feeling bad about ourselves, sad about ourselves, or whatever happening to us, remember that. He's seeking out and searching for us. And all we got to do is say, hey, here I am. And on that note, folks, I'm going to close with prayer. Lord God, I don't know what to say. Just thank you so much for all your many blessings. You've blessed us so with uh, the words of Jesus, uh, with the gift he gave us of uh, sins being washed away. We thank you for the rain. We thank you for the healing of many of our class members. We ask that you be with Dave and make certain, Lord, that uh, he's healing properly. And if not, Lord, we pray that He's got the, the medical people treating him. will uh, use all the gifts that you've given them to make him well. With all our other uh, class members who are going through similar problems, keep them healthy, keep them safe. We lift up the mothers and all women, Lord, and pray that you bless them as they have blessed us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.